excited about ketosis. I think there's a lot of benefit from ketosis. I think we have to be incredibly cautious about the concept of a high-fat diet. Welcome to the Longevity Blueprint Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Stephanie Gray. My number one goal with the show is to help you discover your personalized plan to build your dream health and live a longer, happier, truly healthier life. You're about to hear part two of my conversation with Dr. Terry Walls. If you haven't listened to the first half of the conversation yet, you're going to want to go back and listen to that last episode first to hear her journey from being wheelchair bound with multiple sclerosis to riding her bike in the best shape of her adult life. In this episode, you're going to get to hear what a day in the life of Dr. Walls looks like, what oils she cooks with, her favorite recipes, and she's even going to answer my question, should kids be eating dairy? Let's continue our conversation. Tell us about this term, Walls Warriors. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, I acknowledge that, you know, this is hard. We're, we're doing hard work. Uh, and so I invite people to uh, think about this journey as the hero's journey. And the hero, you know, where we are, are we and our society are facing a big struggle. Uh, and then society and we are sort of losing. So we, the individual, the hero, separates from society or the conventional approach to your disease. You learn something really important, hopefully useful. Then you come back and you re-engage in the struggle and you're much more successful. Uh, and so I, I talk with people and encourage them to view this as what is your hero's journey? What do you need to learn? What does your tribe uh, need to learn? And um, how can that help you in your healing journey? Uh, and I think people have... Uh, really uh, embrace that term. Uh, they uh, love thinking of themselves uh, in their hero's journey, uh, in themselves as a warrior. Uh, so, uh, affectionate term is Wall's warrior. As we're battling this journey, as we're grooting ourselves to learn what we need to learn to be more successful. So, speaking of conferences, I have attended a few other conferences that you have as well, and I. Uh, saw one of your social media posts sitting at the airport at one point was snacking on a cabbage. Oh yeah! <laughs> <laughs> give yourself the antioxidants you need to protect yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us, give us some tips for snacks that you travel with because you truly live this every day. Yeah. So, so I, I want to point out to everyone that all the stuff I talk about in my book, I actually do because if I decline uh, on my diet if I'm exposed accidentally to gluten, dairy, or eggs, my face pain turns on. I have horrific levels of pain. If I am uh, exposed to too many toxins, um, I have uh, pain. If my stress level comes uh, too severe, I'll have pain. So I really have to do all of this stuff. So I travel all over the globe speaking, and I discovered that if I did three flights in a month, my face pain would come back. So I had to up, up my detox uh, protocols. And part of that is, um, I uh, carry uh, a cabbage with me when I fly because I, then I, I slice up the cabbage uh, and cabbage is very happy without a refrigerator. So I can still have my nine cups of vegetables if I take a head of cabbage with me, which does mean I get stopped uh, going through airport security all the time because it's you know, at my carry-on. And as I'm flying, I will be eating cabbage in the plane because, again, that will boost my uh, detox capability in the plane. Because as you fly, you're exposed to more radiation, more plastics uh, in the plane, uh, and then some recirculation of the aerosolized uh, jet fuel. And by making those tweaks, uh, my problem with flying was, which is much better. But of course, most recently, I've not been flying since March. 
presumably we will get through this and we'll be back to international travel. I'll be back to giving these lectures. I've heard you say before that the facial pain you get if you waver at all from your diet is a blessing because to you that, you know, forcibly, <laughs> well, I guess not forcibly, you always, you could choose to have the facial pain, but you're choosing to not, you're choosing to eat yeah. this way. You know, my facial pain is, is um, really this tremendous barometer of um, the level of inflammation in my brain, in my spinal cord, and in my bloodstream. Uh, so I could, I could go get blood tests, but I have a minute-by-minute mark uh, sensor biosensor and, and you know and I, I i talk about that now at the seminar we've uh, created a, a much more robust beha walls behavior change model and i walk the clinicians through um how to teach people how to make these changes and one of them one of the segments of the lecture is how to teach people how to recognize what's your biosensor so that um, because it, it's it's much easier if someone has pain that's the easiest to deal with. If they have something really visible, skin, that can be very helpful. If you have um, that you can't see, that's you know, pretty hard to ignore. Uh, so we, we coach clinicians and patients, how do you identify what's your biosensor? That's your most sensitive marker that there's been a little unfavorable or favorable change in how you're running the chemistry of life. Part of your training also for clinicians is to help with modifications of patients are vegetarian or with myself, for instance, yeah. I've struggled with fructose yeah. intolerance and SIBO and spent years on a low FODMAP diet. And so eating all these greens, I had to really slowly, <laughs> slowly work my way up to see what I could tolerate. But talk to me a little bit about the available modifications for those listening in if they are vegetarian. Yeah. So, um, and this is from an interesting uh, sidebar. My ancestral health folks, my paleo friends were sort of horrified that I said, yes, you can be a vegetarian. Uh, and I said, you know, I need to be inclusive. Uh, and it was really very helpful that my uh, PhD student who was so important to our study is a vegetarian for religious reasons. So I thought, okay, I have to guide her on how to fine tune her diet for health reasons, which we did. And then I could use those concepts uh, in the book. Uh, and the issues for vegetarians are they're going to be at risk for uh, inadequate protein because uh, some people just take animal products out of their diet. Uh, they're still eating a lot of sugar, a lot of processed foods, no vegetables, no protein, not enough fats. And so they're creating uh, nutritional deficiencies. So I, I educate the vegetarian on how to make sure that they're having a, a complete diet and what risk factors to uh, think about. Uh, B12, iodine, essential fats, and protein. Uh, being the big ones. And, and, then, and then I also, in my book, I, I talk about the benefits of ketogenic eating uh, because, yeah, and, and the research continues to grow that ketogenic eating can be very, very helpful for mental health issues, for neurologic issues, for insulin resistance, uh, uh, for diabetes, prediabetes. So that's really helpful. Then, but depending on how you do it, you may drive your cholesterol through the roof. And that's a problem. Um, so I, uh, we give uh, some guidance on how to manage that. Sure. Uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about the ketogenic aspect of Wall's protocol. So maybe, can you get into level two and level three with Wall's sure. Paleo and Wall's Paleo Plus and talk a little yeah. bit? So level two is uh, the more traditional paleo diet, but now highly structured. Uh, we talk about meat, although I've scaled back the meat intake compared to the usual paleo diet. I, I talk about organ meat, that I want you to have liver 
six to eight ounces uh, a week or take liver capsules. Uh, and then have, you know, uh, oysters, mussels, uh, tongue, heart, uh, uh, kidneys, uh, other organs as well, bone broth, uh, all of that uh, very, very helpful. Uh, then fermented foods, kimchi, sauerkraut, uh, uh, fermented uh, nut milks or coconut milk. Uh, and then uh, the benefits of raw and the benefits if you're going to have nuts and seeds of soaking them. So you begin the germination process. Plus, they're way more delicious if you've had uh, soaked, sprouted uh, nuts that have been dehydrated again. And that lessens the lectin uh, danger or risk. Yeah, it makes it much less inflammatory. I, I, I do mention the, the benefit of using uh, um, a instant pot or high-pressure cooking. Uh, that also lowers the lectin content as well. And then the third uh, category is the ketogenic diet. Uh, and uh, so on the high-fat diet, you can do it either with uh, medium-chain triglycerides or MCTs. Uh, and coconut oil, coconut milk is a very tasty way of doing that. Uh, the potential downside, some people uh, just have uh, nausea, vomiting, some diarrhea uh, with MCT oils and, and don't do well with coconut milk. Some people have their lipids go through the roof. And uh, so that just means that you, you don't tolerate the coconut milk as well. Uh, then for that person, we put them on an olive oil diet. So they have uh, lots of olive oil. But if you're using olive oil, then you can't take as many carbs. Uh, and so if, you, if you're able to tolerate the coconut milk, you can get 50 to 80 grams of carbs. If you're using only olive oil, then you have to limit it to 25 grams of carbs. And that's pretty tough. That's like one plate of, a big plate of salad. Uh, and so in that circumstance, you may decide you want to do time-restricted feeding, intermittent fasting, or um, periodic fast uh, as an adjunct and to have more of a low glycemic diet that is still sort of halfway between uh, the, the level two and level three. You won't be in ketosis. Uh, you could modify that by eating just one meal a day. Then you'll in, be in ketosis for a few hours every day. Um, or you could do the periodic fast uh, and uh, have a calorie restriction of 500 calories to, say, 800 calories for three to five days. However, because of COVID-19 and the animal models of calorie restriction, that causes an, a 30% drop in your immune cell um, lines. So you have a temporary suppression of your immune system during the uh, periodic fast. So during that time period, you're going to be at greater risk for getting COVID. So for that reason, I, I, I feel good about uh, time-restricted feeding. I feel good about uh, intermittent fast. I'm uncertain about the risk for a periodic fast during this time. So I, I think I have to be uh, really very cautious about that. Didn't know that. Very interesting. I want to comment on back to individuals who may not tolerate ketogenic diet or, or just consuming that many fats. Uh, there's one caveat here. If patients have a specific APOE genotype, they should not be on you know, high saturated fat diet. And that's, yes. that's why it's so important to work with a, a functional medicine provider or a coach that understands these concepts just to help personalize. Yeah. Them. If you're going to be on a um, ketogenic eating, you certainly want to know your APOE4 status. You want to know your uh, diabetes uh, uh, risk factor, and you need to know your lipid response. Because um, even if you don't have APOE4, 
let's say you, you happen to be APOE2, uh, 3, and 2.2, two, so you have great APOE4. But if your cholesterol still goes up to 400 or 300 on a uh, high-fat diet, that is not good for you. Uh, and so uh, other, other strategies would be appropriate. And, you know, and the other um, thing that I, I would stress is that the high-fat diet, that's a very new phenomenon. We've been doing that uh, since I think about 100 years. Uh, Mayo Clinic uh, physicians discovered this was a useful way to treat uh, seizures. Our ancestral mothers and fathers were often in ketosis. But it wasn't because they're eating a high-fat diet. They're in ketosis for one of two reasons. One, there was no food and they were starving. So that happened plenty of times. And the other was they had to work their tush off to get the food that they could eat. So there was a lot of physical activity. And if humans do physical activity, that's fairly intense for more than two hours. We've used up all of our glycogen and we are in ketosis. So every day when we're out there getting food, because it didn't come in the grocery store, folks. We had to work incredibly hard to get the food. And if you were in a clan where the men got the food, so they you know, traveled 10 miles, 20 miles, got the food, brought it back, carried it back. Then the ladies worked their tush off, preparing the food. And so both sides of the clan were working really hard. Uh, so we're in ketosis a lot, probably more often on the basis of exercise or starvation. It was never because we had a high-fat diet. That's a really new artificial phenomenon. So while I'm excited about ketosis, I think there's a lot of benefit from ketosis. I think we have to be incredibly cautious about the concept of a high-fat diet. Wise, wise words. So your message and research have come a long way in the past five years. So are there any major updates for us you would like to share? Or maybe you already have. <laughs> Well, 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 oh, I love talking about the research. So, uh, yes, some very exciting updates. Uh, one, uh, we are, you know, analyzing the data for the low-fat diet uh, versus uh, the Walls diet, so that Swank diet versus Walls. Uh, and I'm actually quite hopeful that we'll be able to submit an abstract uh, for that data and present it to the uh, international meeting this fall. Um, and so... Probably in September, uh, assuming that that meeting will get to still be happening, we'll have that uh, information out. In the meantime, I don't yet know. We're, we're standalizing the data, so I, I don't know what we're going to find, but I'm excited uh, that we're at that point. Now, the next thing that, that I'm so excited about is we're starting our next study. In our next study, because we've never been able to answer the question, walls, di you know, walls diet, meditation, exercise, no drugs versus standard of care drugs for the newly diagnosed MS patient or clinically isolated syndrome. Are they equivalent? Are people harming themselves when they've declined the drugs? Are they doing better when they decline the drugs and taking uh, diet and lifestyle? We don't know. But this, we're going to begin to answer that question because we have just now uh, gotten approval for our study. Actually, we were approved to do the study back in January but then COVID happened and we can't do in-person visits. Uh, and so we had to redesign the study. We've got approved approval now for the redesign. And what we're doing is we're doing this all virtually. People who have been offered drugs, newly diagnosed, and want to do diet and lifestyle, we will have a baseline visit. We will train you on the diet and lifestyle and then support you. Uh, we'll do reassessments uh, every three months. 
repeat everything uh, at uh, 12 months. It's quality of life studies only, and then we'll be abstracting medical records, um, and we will do that. I, I am disappointed that we don't get to do the MRIs. That is very disappointing, but you know, life changes and you have to adapt. Well, tell us about your new book, actually. Um, you have an expanded edition. So what's new with the revision? Well, what, what's new in the revision, I, I spend a lot more time talking about the science of behavior change. Uh, so the uh, patients will find this, I think, incredibly useful. The clinicians will find it useful uh, as well. Uh, and then uh, we provide more nuance uh, in the discussion of diet. We talk about histamines. I talk about oxalates. talk about FODMAPs. I talk about how to transition people from the current diet, uh, perhaps to a Mediterranean diet, to level one, level two, level three. Uh, in the uh, level three version, uh, we talk about uh, time-restricted feeding, intermittent fasting, periodic fasting. I talk about stem cells, who would be appropriate for stem cells uh, and how you could get them uh, and what additional things you'd want to do if you go down the stem cell route. Uh, we talk about emotional resilience and metabolic resilience. That, um, you know, the fact that we live in air conditioning, a heat, uh, central heating, uh, and a very narrow temperature range, that's harmed us metabolically. That uh, we've designed a very comfortable environment for ourselves. And that's harmed us metabolically. So what can we do to improve our resilience? Uh, given that we've created these environments that are very comfortable. And I, I'm not telling people to, to give up those environments because they, they are comfortable and pleasurable. But there are specific steps that you can do that will improve your resilience so we can still enjoy air conditioning and heating, but have much better uh, resilience. That's very interesting. That piques my curiosity. Today before our interview, I knew I had to get to the office 30 minutes early to turn the air down because <laughs> it was a hot, humid day in Iowa. <laughs> I needed to get that air <laughs> right, just right for our interview. I look forward to reading that. Uh, your the revised book because I don't have that one, but that's that's interesting. I piquing my curiosity very much so. Yeah, and um, you know, because the thing I've gotten uh, much more interested in uh, is evolutionary biology. Uh, and I think uh, this is um, what I bring to the functional medicine folks is because I combine ancestral health, evolutionary biology, uh, functional medicine, and my uh, clinical experience uh, with taking care of people who don't have any money, um, that uh, gives a, a, a very unique perspective. Evolutionary biology, we'd be so much further off in healthcare if we understood evolution and use those concepts in designing our interventions for our patients. Fascinating. Let's go back to the kitchen for a moment here. So I want to ask you a few fun questions. Like, What is your favorite recipe that you cook frequently? Well, uh, bacon and greens, absolutely. It's one of our favorite meals. Um, I, I think people uh, often struggle like, how on earth could you make uh, liver taste good? They're just like, oh my God, they just sound so terrible. So here, here's a recipe that I got from my great-grandmother uh, for 1890 companion of uh, cookery, where uh, you slice a bunch of onions, put them in the bottom of your, of your uh, pan, lay chicken livers on top, and then lay uh, bacon strips across all of the chicken livers, put them in the oven at 225, start checking them at about 70 minutes. And what you'll want to see is that uh, they might take up to 90 minutes. 
the outside of the liver will be maroon. You'll slice the inside. It'll be pink, but it won't be oozing anymore. Uh, and you'll have this wonderful, soft, custardy texture of the liver that will be incredibly delicious. The bacon is delicious. The onions are yummy. Uh, and when I've made that for my kids, they're like, wow, that really is quite yummy. And you make it for guests. That is uh, an amazing meal. Good recipe. I haven't made that one yet. Uh, what oils do you cook with? What are the three staples on your kitchen counter? So I will fry with uh, bacon fat, with uh, duck fat, or clarified butter. I will boil, steam, roast, bake, grill, and then I will put uh, olive oil. So I just went out and got a bunch of my fresh uh, garden herbs, some uh, garlic chives and oregano, uh, minced them and blended them up with olive oil and lemon juice. And so we'll pour the uh, oregano pesto over the steak that we're grilling tonight. Mm. So I, I save the olive oil and mix it with uh, fresh herbs and pour that over stuff after it's been boiled, steamed, uh, or roasted. If I uh, need to fry something, I'll use uh, duck fat, which would be my favorite fat. So tell us what a day in the life of Terry Walls looks like. From what you do from a lifestyle standpoint, are you gardening and growing your own food? Well, so we'll, we'll tell you, we'll walk you through what I've done today. Um, so I uh, get up uh, early. Uh, I uh, do a four, seven, eight uh, breathing meditation. Uh, then I got up, you can sort of see over my right shoulder, a uh, e-stim device. So I hook myself up and I do a strength training workout uh, augmented by electricity. Uh, and, uh, or and every other day I swim. So I'm either zapping and strength training or swimming. Uh, then I follow that with a sauna. Uh, and then in the sauna, I do some voice training and some more uh, seven, eight breathing. After I've uh, just read for 20 minutes, I do a few more. Uh, voice training and, and uh, meditation. Then I take a cold shower. And so that, that morning routine. Quite the routine, yeah. <laughs> uh, two and a half hours. Then I uh, launch into my day. Uh, so today I was doing some uh, reading for pleasure and gardening and uh, taking the dog out uh, for walks. If it was a work week, I would be you know, doing my uh, meeting with my research teams, et cetera. Uh, I would take the time to walk outside a couple 10 minute walks because I want to get the sunlight uh, in my eyes so I have better sleep at night. Um, and then in the evening, um, I'll make uh, my meal. And that's generally the first time that I eat. Uh, so I've had uh, water uh, or detox tea, green tea up until then. Then I'll uh, make a meal. Tonight we're having uh, bison steak, uh, mushrooms, uh, roasted garlic. Um, uh, we have asparagus and uh, onions uh, salad from uh, our yard. And I will pour uh, pesto um, over uh, the steak uh, and the vegetables uh, afterwards. We'll probably also have a kale salad uh, from the yard. Uh, and then uh, um, we'll have our dinner. Uh, before dinner, we have a little gratitude practice where my wife and I reflect on what we're grateful for the day. Our daughter's been staying with us, so uh, for a few few weeks here, she'll partake in all of that as well. Uh, and uh, then we may read or um, watch something on uh, on the TV program. I will do another meditation before uh, off to bed. Uh, some evenings, again, depending on my evening schedule, I'll also take in an ice bath. Uh, and I'll tell you, it's very clear if I do the ice bath, the time to fall asleep is shorter. 
in the depth of my sleep, uh, in the quality of my sleep, is is always superior um, when I've had the ability to do an ice bath. Wonderful. That makes me want to ask you 20 more questions, but we'll, we'll keep it to just a few more because <laughs> you've been so gracious with your time today. Wonderful routine. Because of the present pandemic that you referenced, there are many people that are taking disease-modifying drugs who are more um, at risk for Oh yeah, absolutely. Or contracting the virus. So what can some individuals do who are currently on immunosuppressive drugs to prevent their chance from... Yeah. Um, okay. So the first thing you want to do is um, you have to stay on your drug. If you abruptly stop your drugs, your inflammatory cytokines will markedly increase. And so if you get the infection, you're going to be at much greater risk of having a severe reaction. So uh, we don't want anyone to abruptly stop. I do want you to, to lower your in, inflammatory cytokines, and that really is about diet and lifestyle. There appears to be particular uh, elevations if you're sleep-deprived. So uh, priority number one is making sure we are improving the quality of your sleep. Um, so an evening meditation, uh, prayers, uh, and a consistent uh, uh, time of going to bed and getting up in the morning, uh, that'll be really helpful. Uh, number two, improve the quality of your diet. Get your blood sugar uh, lower. So uh, lower uh, carbs, get rid of the sugar, get rid of the flour-based products. I'm not really keen on gluten-free products. Uh, many of them are contaminated. They, they release too much blood sugar. Uh, better to have vegetables uh, in your protein source. Uh, and so uh, improving the quality of your diet, really helpful. And, and then you could uh, want to be sure that you're getting plenty of... Um, Organ meat. Uh, the organ meat has vitamin A in it, um, which is very helpful for your immune cells. Uh, so liver, six to eight ounces a week. If you don't want to do that, you can pick up the organ meat capsules uh, that we have on our website. Um, but you now try the chicken liver recipe. You'd be quite surprised. It, it, it's quite delicious. Uh, and I'd, I'd want you to get some zinc, uh, uh, vitamin C. Uh, you know, the, the, and you can talk with your practitioner about what is the correct dose for you. The, the, da the potential downside of zinc supplements is that long-term, they may compromise your copper levels because zinc and copper are, are quite linked. So for a couple months, I, I think that's good. But long-term, you know, uh, it, it gets to be dicey if we don't know what your copper levels are. Uh, so uh, that's, uh, it gets, as soon as you start taking supplements, it's much more complicated. I'd much rather you work with an integrative uh, physician, practitioner who can uh, help support what supplements to take and for how long. Wonderful. What about children? So I have a 14-month-year-old son, and I have a lot of patients who ask me, are you going to allow him to have gluten or dairy or eggs or sugar? Uh, I get asked that question a lot. And so I'm curious to know what your opinion is on how we should be raising children these days, which foods we should be avoiding, or is it okay to give a child milk? What are your thoughts on that? Okay, so uh, mammals have been giving milk to our infants for a really long time, about 200 million years. So uh, human milk is, of course, my preferred food. Um, that, that would be superior. Um, and uh, breastfeed that child uh, certainly as long as is practical for you and your family. Uh, and then if you're not using uh, human milk, uh, then uh, you'll have to sort out with your um, healthcare provider which formula is, is the most appropriate. Sugar is an incredibly addictive compound and the uh, flour-based products are incredibly addictive compounds. Uh, 
And so, again, you'll have to evaluate your family's circumstances. Um, but if you can keep them from getting addicted to sugar, uh, addicted to high glycemic index foods, you'll be well served. When I speak with my pediatrician colleagues and friends, uh, they certainly endorse that the Walls Protocol is a great diet for kids. And what you can do is uh, visualize it's three-fourths of a plate uh, are the greens, colors, sulfur, and a quarter of the plate is the protein source. And have that as often as uh, appropriate for that child. Uh, the issue of uh, dairy, now this is a controversial topic. And I'll give you uh, my thoughts on that. From a evolutionary biology perspective, mammals have been using milk to raise our young for you know about 200 million years. Uh, humans, uh, we, we separated from the primates about 6 million years ago. We're still using milk uh, for our young. Once they get weaned, they didn't get any milk. Then the genus Homo, again, getting milk until you got weaned, they didn't get any more, two and a half million years. Then the species Homo sapiens, 250,000 years. It was just 10,000 years that we've had dairy in some parts of the world. And then you started having uh, milk uh, for longer. So it's a relatively new food stuff. And depending on your genetics, you may be at greater risk to have cross-reactivity um, with molecular mimicry uh, for your brain and a higher rate of mental health issues and neurologic issues. And again, um, uh, some would suggest if we have higher rates of, of mTOR, uh, because you have a high intake of casein and a high intake of protein, you may have a higher rate uh, of cancers. So there are some downsides uh, with milk. Uh, there are some upsides. I think uh, uh, certainly milk's a, a very good food for raising infants, for toddlers. Uh, it gets uh, less helpful the older we get. Once we have fused uh, growth plates, then all those growth factors in milk, uh, they can grow, grow us horizontally, not so helpful, or they could grow us pathologically and develop cancer, also not so helpful. So that factor, the growth factors, uh, to me, is a reason to not have a lot of milk. Agreed. Helpful answer. I think it's very helpful for infants. Absolutely. We have a lot of reason to think that. Probably helpful for toddlers. A lot of reason to think that. And then it may get less helpful uh, as we get older. So what's your top longevity tip? You had one. Uh, hormesis. Intermittently stress yourselves uh, with uh, calories, with uh, exercise, with temperature, um, so that they go through a period of mild stress, followed by rest and recovery. Wonderful. So how can listeners come see you as a patient or work with you? So if you go to terrywalls.com, I feel like across the top, there's a link that says uh, work with me. Uh, and we'll give you uh, information about the type of practice that I have and uh, what the next steps would be. And the other possibility, of course, is to think about attending our seminar. Um, and that is a um, this year, a, a remarkable opportunity because we have so much more content and so many more uh, interaction hours. So the conference is virtual. So really, anyone the conference is virtual. Yeah, just to be clear for any listeners. Anywhere in the world, we have folks uh, uh, listening in from Australia, from Africa, from Europe. Um, I don't know that we have anyone from China. Uh, that we have uh, people from the Mideast. Uh, so it, it's very fun. We have hundreds and hundreds of people dialing in. 
That is a far reach. That's wonderful. So in the show notes, we will also post a link to a one sheet on Dr. Wall's website where she does share her food pyramid, the Wall's, Wall's Protocol Pyramid. So you can know and reference that as far as how to eat. Of course, read her books, but <laughs> that pyramid will be a, just a quick sheet for you to see more of what this diet entails that we've been discussing today. And also copies of her research papers are also on her website. Um, so thank you, Dr. Walls, so much for being present with us here today. Thank you for not giving up with your own struggles, your pain, and diving into the research and ultimately using your talents and ability to experiment on yourself, but to create this Walls protocol, which is truly creating health for so many. So my last question to you is, do you feel invincible again? Well, uh, not quite, but I feel... Uh... Uh, it's just totally empowered because I have so much more meaning uh, in my life than I had back when I was an athlete, much more satisfied. So maybe I do because now, because I have so much more clarity in my life than I had then. Well, thank you. Thank you for being here today and for your story and for all that you do. Thank you. Well, there you have it. What a jam-packed hour. Two episodes full of so many tips from Dr. Walls. The Walls Protocol is improving the lives not just in those with autoimmune diseases, but is great for chronic disease and, as you heard, children. I'm going to have to try that liver recipe this weekend. Be sure to check out my book, Your Longevity Blueprint. And if you aren't much of a reader, you're in luck. You can now take my course online where I walk you through each chapter in the book. Plus, for a limited time, not only is the course 50% off, but you also get your first consult with me for free. Check this offer out at yourlongevityblueprint.com and click the course tab. One of the biggest things you can do to support the show and help us reach more listeners is to subscribe to the show and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. I read all of the reviews and would truly love to hear your suggestions for show topics, guests, or how you're applying what you've learned on the show to create your own longevity blueprint. The podcast is produced by the team at Counterweight Creative. As always, thanks so much for listening. And remember, wellness is waiting. The information provided in this podcast is educational. No information provided should be considered to be or used as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always consult with your personal medical authority.